Still, we fucked up. Fucked up bad. Tell me something encouraging. I just smoked a buck. I smoked a fork. Oh my god, my first year. Brian. Back. <laughs> Two in a row. We are back. Two in a row. Brian's second podcast in like 12 months. <laughs> he has been gone forever and he has seen the light and decided he wants to be involved again. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, so he's back. So listen up, guys. Um, I, I'm a big YouTube fan, and so is Brian. Uh, we like watching YouTube, and, and um, we both are, <laughs> I don't know how I say it, like obsessed with predator hunting at this point in my, my life. We're it, getting into it. Yeah, we're getting into it pretty hard, and um, for whatever reason, I end up finding myself uh, going down the rabbit hole on YouTube, and there's tons of channels out there, and the one channel that sticks out to me that I relate to the most is Call in the Country. Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's such a sick channel. Super sick channel, dude. Yeah. It's just like the way it goes down, the story, it's not a, it's not a regular, how do I say it? It's not like a regular channel in a sense of like you just got some dude out there just blowing dogs away. No, dude. They're, he's kicking it with his boys. Yeah. I'm not trying to sell anything. It's, no. it's just sick content. It's just total sick content. And you know what, dude? There's like... There's tips and tactics in it in which I look at and I can, like, see through the silver lining and get. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like our podcast. We try to give the ticks and tips and tactics, and uh, that channel is, like, I feel like we kind of really? emulate it. Or, yeah. like, you know, it's kind of like an emulated aspect of video compared to the podcast. Yeah. That being said, we got Ross. From calling the wild calling or the calling the country on the podcast right now, Ross. Yeah, how you doing, buddy? How's it going? We're doing all right. Pretty man. good. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, it uh, it's cool to have you on. I know we spoke on the phone the other day, so you know when that when that happened, I was kind of actually surprised that you know you'd actually come on the podcast. You know, it's kind of hard yeah. reaching out to random people. You know, no, it's uh, it's my first podcast. Uh, hopefully, it's a good time. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll be cool, man. They 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 jive pretty well. But listen, dude, for the listeners, just give us a rundown of who you are. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, Ross Shores, um, uh, like you had said, I uh, run make videos on YouTube. Uh, Calling the country, um, it's called Ash in the country. Uh, some people get that screwed up with calling the country. We can talk about that more. How that name came about, but um, on Instagram as well, Calling the country. Uh, Facebook, call in the country, anything you just search for call in the country, I'm I'm there. Yeah, but, man. Uh, yeah. Well, sweet, dude. Like, uh, give the listeners a little. Uh, how how long have you been doing it, dude? Because your content flows very well. Like, it's not it's not like you just picked up a camera, and and that's what like a lot of dudes and gals don't understand. Like, we look at these yeah. these content producers, and and you go, oh, that dude or gal is really good at that. Well, dude, there's so much trial and error in it, and it's so hard to put a story together. And the way you do it, it, dude, it's 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 good, man. So, how long have you been doing it? Well, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I actually was just looking on the channel because I was like, "How long have I been doing this?" Thinking about this podcast, and uh, it looks like it's been ten years uh, since the first video Damn. I put up. And I can tell you, ten years ago, it, the, the videos didn't flow. <laughs> 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 you know, it's been a learning process um, along the way, and I think. Uh, when you go back and kind of look at those videos, you kind of kind of see that iteration uh, coming about. But uh, yeah, just you know, kind of ten years ago, I guess we, you know, I have always liked coyote hunting. Um, I guess I got into it when I was in high school. Buddy kind of introduced me to it. I'd always been into hunting in general, but uh, the coyote hunting aspect I didn't really know about until he kind of introduced me and pretty much first. I mean, it's kind of everybody's story. First coyote call in, it's like you're hooked. You know, it's now your life mission <laughs> right. um and uh yeah so it was pretty much the same with me and after doing it for a while um you know 10 12 years ago whatever it was when videos were you know on dvd and you're seeing some of these videos coming out and you're like man i, I feel like i could do that or better you know or do, do that but do it better so um jumped on youtube and just kind of tried my 
hand at it and, and you know the thought of doing it better and guys are putting on on uh dvds definitely didn't uh come about easy or at all you know <laughs> when we were doing it I'm like man I, I can see now why <laughs> why they have so much trouble with this stuff but uh it's been like i said it's a learning process and uh been enjoying it um all these years yeah it it's pretty in, it's like uh how do i say it? it's pretty crazy in in a in a sense of you say oh you know 10 years ago the videos you were making then compared to now they're better now yeah compared to then yeah. see when i when i've blown through your channel and i've just i've like watched every i mean dude i've probably added a thousand thousand hours to your channel you know <laughs> just watching so much but uh like you you look at it as oh it wasn't very good and it was just content we were putting out you know and and like right. oh the learning curve is huge i i look at it and i'm like dude has the nuts to put himself out there throw down videos and content and you're just getting better over time it is still great content dude like you can't discredit that content you were first putting out you can't because that first content got you to where you're at now oh no for sure you know for sure yeah and that and that without a doubt is the same thing that has happened with this podcast dude when i started this thing like i'm sure i sounded stupid and i go back sometimes and i'll listen to those first episodes and like i go man (laughs) like i sounded like a weirdo you know like out of control when brian came on board he was all nervous and and it's just part of the evolution of a channel a podcast or whatever you know it's just we're not actresses or actors you know it's just real yeah Yeah. no absolutely i mean i I go back and every now and again i'll i'll replay a video and i'm like what was i thinking like what music is this what was (laughs) like i thought this was a good idea and it's pretty funny but yeah i mean it's all part of the process that gets you to where you are today, you know, kind of with everything. But absolutely, man. Well, listen, let let's dive into it, dude. Um, okay. Well, hold on. First, first off, last night you had a, a an outing that I kind of want you to talk about. <laughs> it, it's a good, it's a good. Uh, I don't want to say program, but it's a good organization, and you're involved. And I would like to share uh, advocacy with our listeners first. So go ahead and tell us about the Arizona. Uh, Desert Bighorn Sheep Society. That yeah, so, yep, yep. So, um, like I said, Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society, they put on, well, they're uh, an organization that does a lot of uh, fundraising for wildlife, uh, specifically Desert Bighorn Sheep. They do, um, you put in uh, water holes for um, sheep, establish them, uh, kind of keep them updated uh, with water. And they do a banquet every year uh, as a fundraiser, so... There's raffles and auctions, silent auctions and whatnot that, you know, they do the uh, governor's tag is auctioned off um, there and just various hunts throughout uh, the year as well. So it's a good time, um, a couple hours, and there's obviously there's a lot of drinking involved, and um, that kind of got the best of me last night. <laughs> but um, so if I'm a little slow here on the, on the, on the podcast, I have a caveat. <laughs> it's all right, <laughs> That's dude. The reason. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Dude, we uh we we like um sharing advocacy with our listeners. We we think it's um very important for everyone that enjoys the outdoors, you know, and, and what we do to advocate and and essentially speak on behalf of these organizations, regardless if you're a member or not, you know. It all goes right. to a good cause. I know there's like controversy in regards to oh what organization does what and you know, they kind of don't like to work together. But ultimately, man, when we're talking about improving habitat and conservation, it's all the same mm-hmm. fight, you know. And, and right. whenever I get a chance or R2R gets a chance to, to spread the word, we do. You know, we we um, we belong to a couple groups. Um, and those are the groups that we choose to support. But it's not that we don't support all of them. We just support the ones that we're involved in locally, you know. Right. Yeah, I mean, you can't do everything, you know. And if everybody just does a little bit, um I think it'd work out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the biggest one right now, we were preaching it on the last podcast we just did, um, is How for Wildlife. Are you guys involved with that out there? Uh, I'm not. I just I just actually stumbled across them uh, recently, you know, on Instagram. I kind of saw them. I used their um, platform, I guess, to fight the fight with uh, some of the changes that they're proposing here in Arizona. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I've just recently kind of seen Do- them. Dude, that so check it out. How for wildlife? They um 
they're a recent thing too. Like within the past couple months, they've actually come about. So right. it's a new thing. And all of our listeners, we're, we're telling them like, get involved. It doesn't cost anything. It's free. <clears throat> and the best thing about it is we fight the fight in every state. Like yeah. how for wildlife allows us an access point for us to get involved by clicking a button. And it, and yeah. it's not that these, not that, you know, outdoors men and women don't want to be involved. It's just sometimes it's a pain in the ass to get involved, right? Like if, yeah. if it's as simple as clicking a button in which how for wildlife provides that right there allows people, more people uh, statistically to get involved because it's, it goes to your email. You see your email, join the how or join the pack, bam, you hit the button and whoosh, there it goes. There goes off. There goes off an email in behalf of you in regards to why you, you know, support this change or not, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's, you know, kind of been one of those, I think one of those things that, uh, it's been a long time coming. Cause I, the, you know, the other side, the anti hunting side, I, I guarantee you they have the same, you know, thing going on. Oh, yeah. That's how they have the hundreds of emails and whatever that they get, uh, that they flood organizations with or game fish departments with and why they are heard oftentimes more than, you know, the common sense, uh, uh, hunting side of things. So yeah. it's, it's good that, uh, yeah, someone finally put that together. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it's just a huge, it's a huge, uh, spear for us to use, to throw, yeah. you know, it's like, it's absolutely. just, it's there. So, I mean, that being said, let once again, let's dive into this one then. Right. Uh, I, yeah. as a predator hunter, as a newer predator hunter, looking at someone that is experienced as you are, there's like a lot of questions on on time of year, call sequence, you know, rifle right. or shotgun. There's a ton of things, but like the one thing that I want to know and what I can't find, I mean, you can find best time of year, but like what is your best time of year to hunt dogs? Hmm. You know what? I don't know if I have one because I like uh, I like early season, I like middle season, and I like the end of the season. They're all they all have their uh, different um, advantages or you know aspects. Early season here in Arizona is nice and it's fun. Um, whether you're talking about summer dogging or you're just talking about early season, you know, come September, October, more more so October here um, time frame because you have the highest number of coyotes out there and uh, the best chance of you calling those dings there. I mean, they're likely first year coyotes. Um, they're dumb. They're easy to call in. So you can really get decent numbers um, as far as calling coyotes, but then like middle of the sea, but the disadvantage there, at least here in Arizona is, you know, the, the weather and the heat. And in October, even you're still in, in just ridiculous, uncomfortable heat by the middle of the day. So, um, there's that, that aspect of it. But then like middle of season, I like, because you still get, um, if you're hitting good spots, you get, uh, good numbers, um, of coyotes if it hasn't been hit yet. Um, but then you also have nice weather, you know, um, to deal with and you can call all day and it's comfortable and, uh, you, know, you can actually enjoy it. So, right. um, and then the end of the late season is kind of, you go back to, cause, Early season, mid season, you're just using, you know, you, you throw out vocals and whatnot here and there. Um, but primarily, they're coming in on rabbit or, you know, some sort of distress. Um, right. Whereas late season, you kind of switch that up. And uh, I, I put rabbit out there, I put distress out there as well. But it seems more often than not, they're coming in on the vocal stuff. Right. Um, so, it, and late season for me, I like it's, I feel like I'm tricking them more. Like, it's instead of just going out there and just randomly, okay, here's dying rabbit. Go ahead. Let's see what happens. You know, you're kind of playing or thinking that you're playing and you're, you're in their head and okay, I'm going to howl and pretend like I'm a coyote here, but now I'm going to do some breeding sounds like some, something's getting down over here right now. We're going to get into a fight or whatever happening. Right. And then when they come in, you're like, man, I just, I totally played that right. You know, and I got, got them to come in. So um, yeah, I'd say there's really, I don't really have a favorite. <laughs> right. Do, do you do uh night hunting often or like, especially in the, the summer night, night hunting? Yeah. When, like in the uh, summer, hundred something degrees. Yeah. So I got into night hunting uh, a few years ago. Um, buddy of mine, uh, he reached out to me online. Um, he kind of seen my videos and wanted to know if I come out and hunt in Texas. And um, 
I'd never been. I was like, oh yeah, this sounds like a blast. Let's do it. So I went out there and that was kind of my first, um, you know, into night hunting. And uh, it was awesome, super fun. We killed a bunch of coyotes, and then I was like, "All right, I'm I'm doing this." And we get back to Arizona, completely different ball game. Yeah, <laughs> between Texas and Arizona night hunting. And so I've gone through uh, a number of pieces of equipment for night hunting, lights, and just trying to figure it out. Um, and really, it's just you got to be just like any, anywhere. It's harder at night because I I haven't figured it out. I'll tell you that I haven't figured the night hunting game out um but uh you really need to know you know need to know your area better than you do better than in daytime i guess yeah because in night um you know when i was in texas i i was just you know along for the ride i didn't even know what they're looking at or whatever um in arizona you're, you're trying to figure out uh okay well i know coyotes are here but then you go out at night and everything looks completely different than it does in the daytime. And things that you could see in the day, you can't see at night and vice versa. And so it's it's hard to figure out, you know, the stands that work well at night versus stands that work well in the daytime. Um, I've actually outfitted. So I made, I did a, uh, made a trailer, a camp trailer right. that actually doubles as a, uh, it has a platform on top. Yeah. And I've mounted seats up on top just like a high rack you would in texas i was just gonna say a so, high rack yeah 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 so in uh in texas you can hunt you know from a high rack on in your vehicle and shoot whatever well, in arizona you can't um hunt from or call from or shoot from a vehicle well because it's on a trailer as long as you unhook it after talking game fish it's no longer considered a vehicle and you're good so i've kind of gone through and found a loophole in the system, I guess, so to speak, with the trailer, um, which allows you to get higher up. And uh, it does, it makes it one uh, more comfortable because <laughs> you're just sitting in a chair, right. you know, to walk out there. But you also get that height advantage, you know, just like you would in uh, Texas. So kind of playing with that one. Um, so still, I mean, we've done all right. We've called and killed some coyotes at night, but, uh, you know, we haven't seen the numbers like, you know, we do in Texas. I, I enjoy day hunting uh, you know 150 percent more than night hunting yeah but it's also just one of those things like you can it's a different aspect you know it's just something different to do so yeah i think i enjoy daytime hunting better yeah day, daytime yeah. for sure is my, my uh my go-to I, I the night hunting aspect is is cool and i and i enjoy it and i without a doubt will continue to do it but i feel as yeah. if daytime how do i say it like you're not going to call a dog in or a yote in that isn't callable. And I feel as if at night, like, it's more likely to not call a dog in. But just because, like, like if you listen to, like, O'Neill Ops or if you listen to Night Crew, Night Crew will say, like, lights don't affect dogs. You know, like, they, they'll hit them with, yeah. you know, a million yeah. lumen train light and they'll just come mm -hmm. right in, you know. And I feel yeah. that if your light setup isn't correct, like if you're not behind the light, those shadows, they pick up on those shadows. And, no. and, yeah. and they're like, nope, I ain't coming in. So like everything has to be perfect. We got a buddy, Timmy. Um, he's a hardcore dog hunter. He, he'll smoke them at night, but he knows how to do it. You know, like yeah. you got to know how to do it. You just can't go out and just go shoot, shoot yotes that – Yep. Are, you know, your setup has to be perfect, more so than in, in the daytime, I feel like. Well, admit it. Yeah. It's pretty sick to see eye shine coming in from a thousand yards out, you know? Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. cool. I, I, I could dig that. I just think that, like, during the day, it's a lot easier to call dogs in. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, there's people will, I think, argue with you on that on both sides. I'm kind of yeah. on the side I, that, um, for me, the night hunting, it's like a, it's like learning how to coyote hunt again, I feel like. And, um, like, for instance, my, my buddy and I, we did a, uh, the Nevada championship, uh, tournament, uh, I don't know, last couple of years and it's a 24 hour tournament. Um, so it's a night hunting. A lot of guys using thermals. We, we aren't, um, but we 
went out, scouted, had a number of coyotes that we uh, found, and we went through at night, and it was just like, what are we doing? Like, we were just making, you know, stupid mistakes, missed opportunities on things that we would not have done in the daytime, you know, and and it was just like those, an eye-opener, like, man, we just need to figure this out before we try, <laughs> try and actually compete in anything uh, first, you know, and it's just kind of humbling, you know, like you, you see people do the, the night hunting game and you're like, Oh, that looks easy. Yeah. And you go out there with the light, throw the call on and they all come in. Cause they, they're more comfortable at night. They was what people say. Right. And yeah. mm-hmm. I, I just haven't seen that. <laughs> <laughs> like the kind of set that we do call in. Yeah. Some of them are dumb, but at the same time, some of them are smart. It seems like and skirt and don't stop and you can't pick up their eyes because it's night so unless they you know turn and look at you you don't know where they went and all of a sudden they're you know 100 yards further to your right and then you missed the opportunity whatever it is so right. it's just it's a different different game altogether and yeah. i can tell you i have not yet figured it out <laughs> dude the the thermal game like oh yeah the thermal is changing the way if you have the money right like if you have the expendable income and you bought a thermal. Like, thermal mm-hmm. changes the game for, for coyote hunting. No, Without for a sure. doubt. I mean, you, you could go and you could look at a meadow or you could look at a field or whatever you're, you're looking at. You could see if dogs are in it at night. And you can yeah. roll in black on, like, no lights on in your truck. And if these dogs are heavily pressured, getting called yep. at with lights, like, it, you don't even have – you could just shoot them. You can creep in on them and shoot them. Keep the wind in your face. Like, there's, there's, certain, there's certain things, like – with thermal, that that's crazy. I mean, I don't know. I wish I could afford a nice thermal, but I mean, yeah, six thousand I mean, like dollars. Yeah, five six grand. Yeah, <laughs> for something that's decent, it's gonna do do you right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and unfortunately, 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 I don't know how you want to look at it, but yeah, there you can't use thermal. It's only uh, spotlights here in Arizona, right? So that hasn't yet uh, been allowed. Which I'm, I, I don't know. I'm kind of trying. To, you know, I don't know if I even want that. You know, I don't know if I want the guys out there in thermals. Um, or not, you know, just ruining in my daytime hunting. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm a firm believer in educating uh, coyotes. Yeah. Like these dogs are. So my my theory on it is like this: a house dog, right? Like we're talking, we ain't even shooting at house dogs. <laughs> like a house dog, yeah. you can train a good house dog, a smart house dog, one or two corrections, and that dog ain't gonna do that again. You know, like if you put an e-collar on a dog and that dog pisses in your house and you catch him pissing and you zap him while he's pissing, he ain't going to do it again. I mean, it's it's just there. There's corrections that can be made on dogs. Dogs are smart, right? Our dogs, like domesticated dogs. You're talking about a wild animal now that has to fend for himself to live. You, you educate him by calling a dog in, you crack a shot at him and miss that will stick with him for life. Like, I, yeah. I don't think, like, I don't think you're going to get more than one or two opportunities at a dog coming into a distress call and getting shot at and them coming into that. They're going to be looking for more of a natural uh, sequence, like, of how things advent, like, or how things would really unfold for them in the wild. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I don't, yeah, yeah go for it. Well, I was going to say, so I, I agree with uh, a caveat in that I think coyote, so if say you make a stand uh, in a particular location, you call this coyote in, you shoot it, you miss it. My theory is that that coyote associates that area with danger more than it does like the sound that it came into. So I think that if you change your setup and come in, you know, differently or, uh, you know, walk in a little further and use that same rabbit sound later that you have a good chance of calling in that coyote. Um, I think a lot of the educated dogs that you see, if you want to call them educated, I think they have been called that same spot because like, if you think that's a good spot to call, I'm sure there's other people who also think that's a good spot to call. And so they, they get this like trained that this area is danger, you know, that, that they've, been experienced to some sort of trauma, whatever it was, and they associate, I think, with that area more than they do the sound. I'm sure sound has something, you know, a part of it, but I think it's more that that location because I don't think they know what the hell just what happened, you know. But they they come in, 
they're looking for a rabbit and all of a sudden something loud happens and they're like, what the hell was that? And they're actually to get the hell out of there. You know, they don't know that he just got, well, I guess they know they got shot at, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they associate that area, I think more than they do, um, what you did, you know, like, so I don't know, that's just my theory. Cause I have called in coyotes, you know, just changing it up. And, and I, I tend to, if there's a stand out there, if I'm driving along, I'm like, Oh, this looks like a good coyote stand. And I know that it, you know, it's public land and other people are probably doing the same thing. Like I, I will try and adjust my stand to something that's not the, you know, straightforward sit up on a hill, look down in this nice open valley coyote stand. I'll try and move it enough that it gets out of that danger zone or whatever and uh, makes them a little more comfortable possibly. But yeah, that makes totally sense. Yeah. I was just going to say that, that, I've never thought of it that way, that they just associate that aspect of that part of the land with danger instead of, oh, that yep. noise that I heard, that, that yeah. praying distress, that wasn't right. what did it. It was that area. Makes yeah. It, makes I mean, you got to think about it. These coyotes are, you know, they, they still have to eat. You know, after you shoot and miss them, they run off. It's not like they're going to never go into a dying rabbit, you know, sound again, or they starve, yeah. <laughs> possibly, yeah. you know? So. They have to, to survive, um, still react to those sounds. It's just, I think that, that area, just like with roads and whatnot, getting off the road further, um, you know, puts you off of that danger zone, um, more than not. Just, I don't know. It's all, all this, all this coyote hunting is just theory and, uh, guesses. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> so like, what's your, can we hear your, like your gear you're using? Like what kind of pack or, um, ground and pound chair what? What, what, you know, shotgun gear, whatever you're using. Um, yeah, so over the years, just like with everything, you, you kind of change things up and uh, go back and forth. Early on, I, well, early, early on, it was just a rifle, you, you know, I'd bring. And then I got into, oh, you know, the shotgun is awesome for coyote hunting. And so I started going, okay, if it's thick, I'm bringing a shotgun. If it's open, I'm bringing a rifle. And then, it seemed like without fail, I'd be in a thick spot with at like, and I'd have a shooting lane out to a hundred and a coyote would pop there and sit there and wouldn't come any further. And so I'd be sitting there with a shotgun and I'd be able to shoot it. And that happened enough to where I was like, you know, forget it. I'm just going to bring a shotgun and rifle on every stand. And uh, I did that for years. And until recently, um, kind of got into the AR game and, uh, got, and, with the AR, I felt like if I could make a nice compact, you know, AR, I could use it for, you know, both situations, um, close and long, which is kind of what I've been doing. And, uh, it seems that, you know, and you're not bringing two guns and it kind of, it bodes better if you're trying to film yourself with a rifle and a camera and everything else. Um, it works a little better. And I've seen to, you know, short of, there's, a, there's still a few ch- instances where, you're like, damn, if I had a shotgun, I'd have three coyotes instead of one or none or whatever it may be. But um, the amount of uh, strain I've taken off my back and <laughs> and yeah. uh, effort is has, you know, I think is worth it, at least to me. So, plus, I'm not in like a tournament, I'd bring a shotgun and rifle all day just because if it's a tournament. I'm not going to miss that opportunity, you know, like I'm talking about, yeah. but when I'm just out hunting myself or with guys, whatever, it's, you know, I just bring the rifle. Do you, um, Oh no, go for it, buddy. No, I'm just going to continue. Like on, as far as like other stuff I bring, I don't, um, pretty much that I, I got shooting sticks, a gun, the call and, uh, a chair depending on kind of the terrain. So if I'm in like, wide open hilly country where you know, I just sit on the hillside. Um, the chair stays in the truck or stool, I guess, stays in the truck. Um, otherwise there's a lot of flatland country here in Arizona, Creosote, you know, that kind of, that kind of country. And I found that, uh, just like a, like a swivel chair, like a little tripod swivel stool works really well to get you up high enough. Um, uh, you kind of get a better view of things and, that swivel action you can spin and whatever if where the coyotes are coming in so yeah. um, that's pretty much it though I've, I've gone back and forth depending on if it's a, like a long um hike in some places i have a pack that i'll bring um with like camera gear and the uh, call and i can throw strap everything there so when i'm dragging coyotes out it's not uh, holding up my hands or anything 
Right. So, like, when you're driving through country or, you know, picking spots where you want to coyote hunt, like, how do you go about your setup? Like, with the wind and just for the listeners that haven't predator hunted before, wind, terrain, um, anything you got? Yeah. So, um, I like to, well, I I always, um, you know, scout online, do some map scouting first. on X, uh, there's some other guys out there doing it, but looking through, you kind of, for like that flat open country, um, coyotes like congregate, well, I guess with any country, um, there's like a transition zones, you know, so you have, whether it's hillside to just a open valley, um, tree lines, uh, brush congregations, whatever, um, that like transition zone, there's a lot of prey animals that, uh, um, live there and as such, uh, coyotes, you know, hunt in those, uh, transition zones. So can't look for those, um, for looking at where you kind of want to, uh, you know, pay your attention or go hunting. Um, and then after that, once you got kind of the area figured out, um, you kind of look at, okay, where are the possible stands more? So where's the road access? How can I get in and out of here? Can you get in on here? Is it going to be a drive? drive in for 15, 20 miles and then you get to turn around and just drive back out the same way. Or is it nice? Well, like a loop, a loop would be ideal. Those are like the best spots where you can drive all the way around and come back out somewhere. Um, but there's, they're kind of few and far between. Usually you end up going somewhere else and going, going, driving back home a different direction. But, um, so look at those spots. Can you get to, you know, the ideal stands or uh, locations from the road. How long is that going to be? Is it going to be a long walk or is it going to be, you know, something close to the road? Um, And then I like to call into those like transition zones. So like in the open flat country, um, you're looking at like water holes or um, areas that have a lot of uh, brush, you know, it'll be a a thicker thicket, so to speak, I guess. Um, Those coyotes, one, they either hang out in there um, when they're bed down or they're hunting along the perimeters uh, for those rabbits and other things. So, and I, for wind, you want to then, if you're driving along and the wind's not right, some guys will just say, well, it, we'll, we'll try it anyway. It, it might work out. Well, I'd rather skip that stand entirely. It might be a good stand, if you, but if you can't get into it without blowing all of your scent in there or drastically reducing the area you're calling, you know, it, it's just not worth it. Um, and then you're better off just going down and figuring out a different spot, um, honestly. So I like to call into a crosswind. Um, that would be ideal. Sun at your back, uh, wind, crosswind. Um, but that doesn't always happen, obviously. Uh, so when your face is okay, but uh, typically these coyotes are going downwind, right? Yeah. That's like their M.O., um, and so if you call with a wind in your face, you are likely missing out on coyotes that they come in and they could come in, you know, directly in front of you or off to your side or something. And before you get visible, you know, eyes on them, they start circling down wind and they get behind you. You never even saw the coyote and, uh, you leave thinking you had a blank stand and here you just because you set up wrong with the wind in your face. Yeah. So you always want to have, be able to see downwind. Um, that's like key and having more visibility or longer visibility, um, downwind is ideal. If you can't do that, um, a lot of times, like when I'm hunting with, uh, other guys or, you know, a partner, we'll put, stick one guy on the call and then push the other guy hundred, 150 yards downwind in that flat country. And so you can't see each other. And I can't tell you how many times I've with a shotgun shot coyotes, you know, that tried circling downwind at 150 yards or 200 yards and then it ended up right in my lap. Right. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, um, trying to think that's generally which, what you do. Uh, we use radios also. I was going to ask you about those, dude. I was going to say, you know, the radios, is that because you guys are too far apart and you're not seeing each other? Yep. It's, it's that, uh, too far apart and also just way better, easier communication. Um, <laughs> we feel like handicapped if we forget a radio or the radio battery dies or whatever, uh, and you don't have them. We've just gotten used to them so much because it's it's easy to just hit the radio and say, "Hey, there's a coyote coming in. 
he's circling down one on your side. You, two guys sitting on stand, especially when you split up like that, you just can't see everything. And one guy might have a better angle at it. He might be able to see it. And just giving someone the heads up, like, hey, you got one coming in, rather than being surprised with it when it ends up in your lap, mm-hmm. you know, being able to prepare yourself, I mean, it changes the game as far as, like, uh, your success and getting those coyotes on the ground. So, and, and a lot of times just, like, telling people, hey, there's a coyote, it's right out in front of you. Like, sometimes you just can't see it, you know? Right. And uh, it takes them, like, to hey, shoot that thing or whatever. So, um, far and away, one of the best and um, pieces of gear that we've, we figured out <laughs> was the radios and you guys just use earpieces. Yeah. yeah. That's the other thing. Um, my buddy, uh, Charlie that I hung out with, we, we use earpieces and then a, um, little push button deal or a push button, I guess, push a talk, um, that you just kind of clip on your collar or whatever. And then when you need to say something, just push that. And, um, we kind of gone through figuring that out. Like he, we both had done like the throat, you know, uh, I don't know, special forces type, yeah. uh, you know, uh, talk, talking stuff. And you just can't, it doesn't work, I guess, um, very well when you're trying to whisper and not say a lot. Um, and so we did a bunch of stuff. I eventually just got to the earpiece with a little push top fob or whatever you call it. Yeah. And that seems to be the, the best, uh, method, um, by far. Yeah, it it seems as if because when when me and Brian are calling or or Timmy's out, I I don't I don't think the distance between us is uh, large enough to need radios really. But that's that's maybe that's our noviceness. I don't know. We're just, I, yeah, we're just getting into yeah, it. I mean, I mean, Timmy's been killing dogs for years, but me and Brandon are just starting to get you know heavily yeah, into it. We're, yeah, we're like, I mean, all of us have shot dogs, deer hunting, and and all that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, generally speaking, if you've been out in the field, big game hunting, you've probably taken a a crack at a dog at some point or not. You know, I mean, but as yeah. far as actually setting up and sitting down, like it's it, we're, I'm pretty new at it in comparison to guys like you and and the people that we know that do it. Um, like religiously, you know, yeah. That being said, uh, how important is camo and like, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, um, that's one of those, I, I don't think it's important <laughs> to okay. be honest with you. Right. I kind of stopped, I, I stopped wearing it. Um, it was, it's one of those things I used to wear it all the time. And then it was almost like a fashion style thing, you know, like, Oh, I gotta have matching camo and this is a new camo. And let's have, this new pattern that's coming out and whatever. So it just kind of got, I got carried away with it. And I was like, what am I doing? Like this, this, how much is this really affecting, you know, my success? And I had already gone over to, I wore just brown pants and I'd wear like a camel jacket. That was kind of what I'd done for a while. And and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm over it. (laughs) I'm over this camel. I don't really, I feel like it's more, like I said, a fashion thing than anything. Uh, and so, especially now that a lot of companies, you know, like QU and others are using, you know, solid colors um, instead of camo entirely. Yeah. Uh, you can get still, you know, high quality gear and uh, it doesn't have to be camo. So I've gone over that and I, I use, you know, neutral tones, browns, greens, grays, whatever. Um, and the, the key to coyote hunting is just not moving. I mean, I've, when I'm sitting there with brown pants and a green shirt on and at 20 yards they're looking at me, you just don't move. And then they keep trucking along. Like they, it's just movement. Movement is the biggest thing with cattle hunting. So movement, you know, what's crazy is that people like all the duckers out there and the waterfowlers, I call them duckers. Um, they swear by camo and I'm not, I'm not saying that it doesn't help. I'm not. Yeah. I've just shot a ton of ducks. (laughs) <laughs> and a camo jacket and Levi's. Like, I ain't kidding. Like, I, I've yeah. sat up on the areas that I duck hunt, um, and I've smashed waterfowl. Like, no camo right. paint on face. Like, just just not moving up against the bush or wherever I'm at, wherever I have my blind. Just don't move. And uh, it, it works. I, I mean, that's why I asked that question because it's like there's so many different companies out there, and, it, and it's gotten to the point where it's like, Oh, I'm cool. You know, I'm wearing this. I'm cool. You know, and then yep. you see guys like you that are out there, literally in your videos with a vest and a brown shirt on, smashing yeah. dogs. You know. Yep. Yep. I had a question. Um, so, like, when you're 
say you're, you're on the mountain, you're picking spots for coyote hunting. Is there a difference in terrain that varies for like bobcats, gray fox, and coyotes, or are they all mixed in like the same kind of areas? I don't know. They definitely they definitely vary. Um, you're wide open, kind of cow country. You know, it's going to be more so coyotes. Um, so, and then the flats, creosote land that uh, I hunt, that's kind of like an it could be either one. It's just a matter of what's in there, you know, and that's up to your scouting. If you're seeing, you know, bobcat shit, bobcat signs and tracks or, um, coyote tracks, but the, the flat country will be a mix of, uh, fox, bobcat and uh, coyotes. And then like the really kind of like the steep, steep mountainous terrain. Um, that's going to be like your fox country, um, rocky mountainous kind of, that's going to be, if you want to target, um, fox, same kind of area that, is, that would be like bear hunting, like black bears, okay. um, or could be uh, gray fox for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, I've noticed. Uh, so SoCal, it's pretty like steep and real thick brush, and mm-hmm. when you're up in the hills, nine nine times out of ten, it's fox coming in. And uh, yeah. like we're not allowed to hunt bobcats here anymore, but I've seen them, you know, down low. I've seen them up high. I've seen them everywhere. Right. But um. As far as the coyotes, I mean, it just seems like they are always typically by ranches or in flatter land. Yeah. They it, don't see them much up in the hills as much. It, you're absolutely right. Like, uh, we got local mountains around here, and um, I could I can't recall the last time I've seen a, a coyote up on, like, the tops of these mountains, like, where we would be deer hunting. We always just seem to yeah. run into them in the lower-lying lands. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, they're just a bigger animal, you know, it's a, I think it's harder for them to get around in that mountainous terrain. Plus, you know, fox and coyotes, they, they kind of compete with one another, right? So yeah. with, you get some overlap, but generally if I'm certain and I'm calling in a lot more fox on a stand, you know, throughout the day, I try and leave that area and get, if I want to hunt coyotes, you know, because to me, fox are like a consolation prize. I honestly, like every, every stand, like when we call in a fox, it's like, cool. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. it, you know, you shoot them, but it's, it, to me, they just, they're so easy and dumb. They, they, they come in anything. You can shoot at them and they'll come back in and you can shoot them again. They're just kind of dumb animals, I guess. So I don't see them as a challenge. And because of that, like, I just see them as a consolation prize. Like, honestly, if we're struggling and we know that there's fox in the area, usually we'll, start, we'll end it with like some uh, gray fox distress just to shoot something and get, get something yeah. on the board. Um, because they compete with one another, generally when there are coyotes and there are a lot of fox that you're seeing, the, the coyotes aren't there because if they were, they wouldn't be coming in. The fox wouldn't be coming in like they do. Yeah, so. I think I've, I think I've shot three gray fox and I got the pelt on one. Um, I just don't think I want to shoot another fox again, man. They just come in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, too much. Yeah. Come in like tinker toes. Like doo, 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 doo. I wish we could shoot bobcats, man. I've seen I know. so many lately. Well, that, and that's the thing here in California is that recently they've, they've, I think yep. it's like two years ago, they got rid of bobcat hunting. And I wish Howl for Wildlife was here when that happened yeah. because it was like, yeah. it, it came so fast and it was, they hit us with it and it was like, okay, well, and like two weeks later it passed. It was weird. It was, it was like, I used to never see them, like hardly see them before, you know, even when I was deer hunting when they, when it was legal. And now that it's not, I think last season, I said it on the last podcast, I seen 11. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. It's really weird. And I, it, I'm not sure how many bobcats were being taken out of uh, the, the habitat when it was legal. But I know it was like a $2 tag. And yeah. most of us, we would just pick up a tag when we deer hunt. Because you see one from the stand. Or yeah, something. you see them and, you know, right. you, you go for it. And, and it's like predator, predator management is so important, especially in a state like, I mean, it's important everywhere. But yeah, it is extremely important in California. the 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 tables are stacked against um, our wildlife here in regards to like prey, right? Uh, yeah. Bobcats, mountain lions, those are illegal to hunt. Bears are soon to go, I'm sure. If we can't stop every time these senators get a wild hare, you know, I mean, they're yep. they're chasing them down and and coyotes i'm sure will be on the list you know at some point it's gonna they're gonna push for it but one like once all these predators go unchecked it's like a done deal man like it'll you know yeah. they, they say the ebb and flow of 
you know, predator to prey as like an up and down thing where like you got a ton of predators, you got no prey, then all the predators die off and then the prey come back. But I don't, I don't buy that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What well, in that model, you know, I think, you know, we weren't around, right. <laughs> you know, we don't have towns and cities and everything else to kind of like screw up that, that ebb and flow. And, uh, w- without, you know, keeping them in check, th- things just get crazy. I mean, you'd have coyotes, you know, eating, dogs and kittens and dog food and whatever in your backyard. And, and until all that stuff happens, which I'm sure will be soon, if they just can keep down, down that same road, yeah. um, there, there won't be the change, you know? So it has to come and it has to be in their backyard and they have to see it. And even so, you know, some people just, uh, feel like it's, it's, it makes more sense for the government or, you know, the wildlife agency to, uh, take control of that than, uh, you know, a hunter. I mean, like California is a prime example like that mountain lion they got rid of. Right. And um, now I, I, I want to say my buddy was telling me, I'm not sure the facts on it, but he was saying that they, they're still killing the same number of mountain lions now that they did before it was uh, against the law, except now it's done through the human fish department yep. for yeah. taxpayer dollars yeah. instead yeah, of exactly. just through through, through tag. Well, oh, yeah. so, and, and this is the way it's happening, dude, is people are calling in. Saying, oh, something killed my goat or something killed my cow or whatever, right? Yep. Fishing game comes out and they probably, if there's a problem, they end up getting the state fish and wildlife uh, trapper out there to go and euthanize yep. a problem cat. Instead of euthanizing or instead of allowing hunters to go out and harvest cats for a premium. Exactly. You know, it's not yep. like it's it's not like it's a $6 um it's not like it's a $6 tag, you know, it wasn't, I mean, it was, a, it was expensive, but either way, um, you know, predator yeah. aspect here is not good. Yeah. Yeah. This I, is backwards thinking. I don't, I don't, I just don't get it. <laughs> neither do I. I have, do you have any, uh, I mean, I've seen, I've went through your Instagram before and I know you guys got on some mountain lines out in Mexico. Um, so have, do you have any crazy stories when you're calling coyotes and mountain lion comes in or anything like that? Yeah. So, <laughs> It's actually funny. So um, I was in the army uh, four years in the army when I came back. Um, really started hitting the predator hunting hard, and uh, first year hunting back here in Arizona, um, called in three mountain lions. Oh wow! And I was like, oh, I'm going to be like the Colin King. Like this is easy. <laughs> I can call in three a year. This is going to be awesome. And since then, I have yet to call in a uh, lion. <laughs> <laughs> so it's um, definitely we just I guess we lucked into it. I'm, I don't know, but uh, yeah, we the first lion we called in, um, we were just hunting coyotes, and it actually it was funny because we were walking in, and sometimes this happens. You know, it looks good maybe on a map, or it looks good like oh, we'll just hop over this hill, and all of a sudden that hill turns into a bigger hill or whatever, and so you kind of end up making a different plan. And that was kind of what happened here. We were walking in and nothing, the visibility just kept getting worse and worse. And we thought it would open up and it didn't. Eventually we were like, the hell with it. You know, we, we've walked this far, like let's just sit down here and call. And, uh, like five minutes on the call. And my buddy was like, Oh, oh over here on the right, sitting next to each other. And it took me a minute to figure out that holy, it was a mountain lion coming in. And ended up coming right to our call we had sitting in front of us, like 15 yards in front of us. And my buddy shot it, shot it in the face because it was it kind of peaked up and was looking right at us. So he shot it in the face and it jumped like 10, 15 feet in the air and spun around and ran off. And we're like, what in the hell? And he gave us another shot at about 150 yards before he jumped over this barbed wire fence. And, um, Jumped over the fence and was gone. And we we're like, oh, my, did we just screw that up? And uh, ended up waiting an hour, went back in there, and he was maybe 50 yards underneath the bush, dead. It, the first shot had like, pretty much blown up his tongue. And the second shot was uh, <laughs> in, in his chest, but it wasn't bleeding at all. So only we were following little droplets of blood on our hands and knees through this like wash. And the only reason he found it is because he got that first shot because he had blood dripping out of his mouth. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. we probably just lost the dang thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so that was the, the first one. That was the first one. And then there's a couple other times where I, I called and they came into a couple hundred yards, were in and out, and one where they were calling at me on top of the mountain, kind of like behind me. Oh, wow. um, 
but yeah. Uh, well, I guess another crazy story would be I was hunting bear uh, and walking out, and I had a, a lion actually following me. It was funny. Not funny, I guess, but I was by myself. Uh, I'd walk way back in there. I was like low on water. I'm hiking out, and I would, I would walk, and I'd hear like footsteps, you know, behind me, and I was like, what? what is that? And I'd stop and I'd hear them, you know, and then they would stop and I kept looking around. I couldn't figure out, you know, what it was. And I kept going and eventually I spun around at one point and this lion, like it, it ran through the bushes. Like it, I don't like, it was, it was essentially stalking me. Yeah. And it ran, like ran off. I don't know. Me just turning around real quick, startled it or what it was, but yeah, it, so I was like, holy crap. Like if I <laughs> not heard that thing, it could be a different story altogether. Dude, they're like the boogeyman, dude. Yeah, they're Those crazy. Lions are like, I just showed Brandon a video. Um, there was a mule deer sitting on a drinker, you know, was drinking water, and someone's trail camera's on it. And all of a sudden, like a freight train, dude, mountain lion hits it on the water. Yeah. Dude, that, that was a, probably about a 150-pound doe. I don't know how big it was, but. Big I'm, doe. Yeah, it would take you. It would probably I'll send it you to you, dude. Uh, Brian sent it to me, and we cropped it out, all that kind of good stuff. And it's just a video that this lion hits this doe so fast and so hard, man. Yeah, it was just incredible, yeah. and then in like a blink of an eye, he had it by the neck. Yeah, <laughs> you know those things are scary. Yeah, it's very pretty, lethal. <laughs> pretty intense, man. Yeah, we were grinning ear to ear when you were telling that first story. Yeah, we can't do that here, but um, <laughs> I would, man. What did he shoot it with? So it was a uh, two hundred four, actually. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's a small caliber but super fast clearly yeah. did the job yeah yeah well at that range at that close range because you only had that that front on shot and i mean those things are so fast they just you know fragment so much that it just like it blew up that his mouth pretty much but the second shot and again because it's just a 204 and that 32 grain bullet going you know four thousand feet per second um it just you know exploded inside just didn't give us a, any kind of exit hole or anything so Fortunately, that that bleeding mouth uh, led us to it, but would have been a different story had it not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, talking about caliber, um, Mm -hmm. what's your favorite caliber? Uh, for a long time, twenty-two to fifty. Uh, for coyotes, and that was because I used to hunt a lot of more of the open country, uh, you know, stuff you could see a ways in and I'd get up on a hill and kind of do that call calling. Um, I've gone kind of back into more of the flat country. I still, you know, do that open country cause I love watching the coyotes come in. But, um, with the open country or with a, the tighter country, my AR, uh, is in a 22 nozzler. Um, it's just a little faster than a two, two, three. And I just found like it just puts them down a little better. My buddy shoots that 204. Um, he's been shooting that for just a couple of years now. He switched over to 223. Uh, you can't beat that 204 as far as like from zero to 300 yards. You know, your point blank range on a coyote is, yeah, like 300 yards. So you can just aim dead on out to 300 um, with that 204 and not have to worry about it, you know, until after past 300. Whereas about anything else, um, you're at maybe 250 uh, if that. Right. 200, 250. So, uh, it's just a, a faster, you know, flatter shooting round, but I've been flirting with the idea of doing a six mil, um, something this next year, a build, um, uh, just kind of figuring that out. I early on with that 22 nozzle, I had bullets that I was using in my 22 to 50. And I think that reduced velocity just wasn't getting, getting it done. And I had a, a few runners on me that I put perfect shots on and, I just know they wouldn't have been running at uh, with if I had shot them with a twenty-two to fifty. So um, I like speed and size, and uh, I don't. I used to back in the day keep coyotes and skin them out and sell them. Um, I haven't done that in a while. I do it for the coyotes that are actually worth something, but I just spent so many years skinning coyotes out and getting twenty twenty-five bucks for them, and it's just not worth it here in Arizona. Those coyotes just aren't. They're not fur up enough. Uh, they've not the color's not right on them. Everything just doesn't add up to, to being worth it. Um, right. So if I if I go up north and shoot some nice looking coyotes, I'll skin those out. But other than that, it I just I just leave them. And so it used to be I want a, a round that 
was fur friendly, you know, as well as putting them down. Right. And that 22 to 50 with like a 53 grain burger is what I was shooting them with. Um, always worked well as far as like being fur friendly. Um, now that I'm not keeping them so much, I'm thinking, you know, I'd rather just put them on the ground and not have to worry about them running off. So I'm kind of flirting with the idea of going, going over to a six, six and, uh, see how that works. Have you ever dumped a dog with just a plain 22 or a 22 mag? Yeah. Yeah. How does that work? Um, not well sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) I mean, you just have to hit him in the head uh, pretty much is what I found. I've shot him in the chest so many times, and they just run off to where you can't find them. You know, because they're not bleeding, you can't follow the track, and they're dead somewhere, but it takes so long for them to die if you shoot him in the chest with a 22. And really, you're, you're bound to, like, shotgun range, you know, yeah. with that 22 long rifle. So um, everything I have shot coyote-wise with a 22 has been headshots, and that works. Um, but again, I mean, at 50 yards, well, I'd rather just have a shotgun unless it's something that you can't, you know, an area that you can only use a rim fire um, for whatever reason. Yeah, it, it's weird. It, it, it's, it comes down to, like, if you hunt the urban environment, like the outskirts of the county, a county yeah. town or something, I mean, a shotgun just blows. I, I mean, shotguns are the best option in that situation, but they're just so loud, man. Like, yeah. I mean, they're loud, but they're also, it's a completely different sound. Like, I don't, does that shotgun sound, I don't think travels as far as, like, a rifle sound. You know, right. It's a softer, softer report. Um, so, I think you can get away with a little bit more, you know, in some of that urban stuff. But I agree. I mean, if you can do it with a twenty two, I'm I have, a, I'm waiting for a suppressor, a twenty two suppressor, but I'm building a little, I have a little ten twenty two, and a little twenty two suppressed, I think, would just be awesome to have on stand, like, if somebody had that, um, in instances we go, you know, bear hunting or calling and it seems like every stand we're calling Fox and we just have to watch them walk away because we're after bear, you know? Yeah. And if you could have a suppressed 22 where you can just, you know, pluck those things off and not affect your stand, I think would be ideal. Um, kind of same situation like you're talking about in an urban setting. But uh, that'd work out yeah. pretty well. Yeah, we man. just don't want Karen or Farmer John running out the house. What yeah. are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's just, exactly. it just draws attention. I mean, you're completely <laughs> legal to do it, but you know, you yep. just don't want to have the issue. You know? Yeah. You, you yeah, that's kind of like the same thing with camo. You know, uh, like uh, another one of the reasons I went away from camo was like. <laughs> just got tired of, you know, explaining to people what we were doing. You go to a gas station or whatever, and you get every single time, oh, you guys going out? And I'm like, yeah, that's what we're doing. (laughs) Just explaining what you do and do you eat coyotes and all, you know, all the questions that come about and you're like, I'm just trying to get off my day. (laughs) Yeah, just leave me alone, man. (laughs) Well, you know, listen, man, we're we're at an hour, Ross. And, um, dude, this this podcast has been ripping along. Um, We... Me and Brian, uh, we could appreciate that your channel is um, is super informative. It's good content. And the craziest thing about that, man, is that you're putting the film work over the dog and you're still getting it done. You know? Like, yep. you're able to film these hunts. And that's the hardest problem. Me and Brian have been trying to get a dog on camera. Uh, put down. It's just hard. It, it's, it's super hard to film a coyote coming in and get it down. Yep. on camera without losing your shit you know (laughs) in the easiest way for me to put it that's 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 the hardest thing for us to do is is a not want to be a shooter and just film and then getting it on film and saying wait 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 i got it i got it go ahead or whatever you know and in the way that you guys get it done uh is admirable man you guys are are a great channel and and we will support you 100 percent, man no, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's tough with that, uh, getting them on film, like you're saying, and you have to have a dedicated guy that's just going to be a, your video dude. Um, I mean, you can go back and forth, but you just have to know that guy has to know he's got to get a coyote, you know, on camera, um, and not worry about anything else. When you start screwing things up and the camera guy's trying to run the call at the same time or doing anything else, it just makes a less, a lot less a lot more too many things go wrong you know Absolutely. so having that dedicated person um but also having somebody on the gun who's willing to hold off on a shot until you know maybe the camera has it you know and uh my buddy charlie that i hung out with when we started hunting um early on 
that was not his mindset at all. I mean, he would, he'd shoot that coyote just like as he would in a tournament. As soon as he had the opportunity to shoot the coyote, and it took a while to get him kind of on board with, okay, hold on, <laughs> wait hilarious. for it. Let me come in some more, let's get some more content on here. Um, but, uh, yeah, you just need two people, two or three people at least to, uh, to, to be all on the same page, I guess, so to speak, to make it work. That's going to be real hard for us, man. Yeah, it's, <laughs> t- it's tough, but we, we want we want to start getting these things on, on film. Um, Real quick, dude. That I have one more question for you, and I should have asked it earlier, but I got sidetracked on that cat that cat question. But this is in regards to calling dogs. Do you mm-hmm. prefer using a decoy or not, like the spinner? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good question uh, because I've gone back and forth on that uh, throughout the years. Um, now I have one. I've got an X Wave Fox Pro X Wave that uh i just leave a decoy on it 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 attaches like to the back battery compartment so i just leave it there and i either have it on or i have it off but there's always that little whatever uh fluffy thing sitting on there what i found with the decoy is you need to use it in an area that's open enough to where they can see it from like a distance and then come in uh if you have it on and it's tight cover and they come around the corner and that's like they see that it seems to be like a 50 50 of either they attack it or they run the heck the other way. Right. And so if I'm in that tight cover, I leave the, the decoy off and I just you know have the call sitting there. Um, but if it's more, I'll, I just run. And I found like, it's like with cats, especially they'll come in, um, you know, from behind or wherever and you, you probably wouldn't have even seen them, or they may not have pulled them in if you didn't have that decoy run. Right. So, um, yeah, but it's gone. I I kind of hated them for the longest time. For years, I never used them at all because I just kept losing those coyotes that were coming in, and they get scared off. And it, I, it didn't kind of click with me until recently, like, you know, having that open country versus the tight cover. Um, and now, yeah, I run it. So, um, yeah. Now I can blame the decoy. For why I shot that dog off camera because I didn't want him to bite the decoy and break it. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> th- th- we've uh, we've been running the decoy quite a bit, and it seems like for us, um, once that dog sees it or that yote sees it, I keep referring to it as a dog. My my wife hates it when I say that, but <laughs> <laughs> when that yote sees that decoy, it is almost as if it's like a laser beam at that point. Like movement, yeah. as long as it's not abrupt movement from yourself, like doesn't change, like. There was a dog coming in, and Brian, like, moved, you know, 90 degrees, and we're 30 yards from this call, and the dog didn't stop, was laser-focused on that call, or on that call and decoy, and he was, like, going to kill it. He was going to hit yep. it, you know? And then all of a sudden, rodeo ensued, but, well, you, know, <laughs> you know, but at that point, like, we have just found that with the decoy in the areas that we're hunting, once the yotes see it, it's all over. They come running, and... Um, yeah. It's just different. I mean, you know, you said it, you know, different areas, yotes respond yeah. differently. You know, I mean, so. yeah, in that, in that open country, it, it almost, I guess, unless you're running a shotgun, it can be, I guess, a detriment to have them running in like that. Because yeah. I found when they'll just cut, like you're saying, they come in a laser beam, you mute the call, you every, you do everything, but as they've keyed in on that, you know, that fluff ball, whatever you got on top of your uh, call, and they're, they could care less about anything else. And so you try and bark, you try and do anything. They don't care until they hit that call. And then sometimes, you know, they get all the way in, they hit the call, and then they're out of there. Yep. They don't give you that opportunity unless you have a shotgun. So so I like to um, – I, I try and turn it off as early as possible just to avoid that. And then if, – because if you're hunting with a rifle, you want them to stop standing. Correct. And it just takes so much to do that. But, you know, I have videos out there where they've come in, hit the call, and then you just – if if you don't do anything else, if you let them hit the call and there is enough open country, you let them hit the call and then they try and figure out what the heck just happened and they'll eventually give you another shot. You know, they'll give you that shot opportunity. You start barking or whatever, they'll stop. Now, it may not be at the 50 yards that you had them originally. It may be 150, but that's an easy shot, you know. And right. uh, as long as you just keep your cool, you don't lose your shit, um, 
you can get get those cats killed. Yeah, man, that's uh, <laughs> that's the hardest part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just a hard part, man. Shoot them. I know. That's what, right. that's, yep, that's what everybody has that has that problem. You know, of not being patient enough. They see the cat running away, and they're like, "We just have to shoot it, get it, shoot, shoot, shoot." But if you just give yourself, and if you have the time, you know, if, if they're going to get lost in some brush, you know, go ahead and shoot. But if you know, if you're in wide open country, just let them stop. Because if, if they haven't hit your wind, they haven't seen you, even sometimes when they've seen you, they don't know what the heck's going on. And uh, it, just keep barking at them, howl at them, and eventually they will stop once they get to that, you know, that bubble range of, okay, I feel like I'm safe now to c- turn around and look and see what the heck's going on. And like I said, usually that's, 150, 200 yards, and they're not not safe. Yeah, and he is laser beaming with that 204, yep. you know? Yep. <laughs> well, Brian, you got anything else, dude? I'm good, man. I'm let's let's kill some, some dogs. Yeah, I know. It fires us up. We want to go <laughs> shoot some dogs. Ross, we want to have you on again. Um, we definitely want to yeah. get you on again. Um, maybe in the next couple months, I'm sure we'll have a ton more questions. We're going to get some feedback on this podcast, and uh, our listeners will, without a doubt, shoot us messages and let us know. And these are questions that we'd like to have you answer. Um, yeah, no problem. Absolutely. We'd like to have you on again, and, and we'll make it happen. Um, do you have anything else? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think we cover most things with everything prayer hunting. There's always something else, but, uh, you know cover that another day sweet man well listen uh don't hang up we're gonna do the outro on this podcast right now and then we'll talk off air all right buddy sounds good just hang tight